Welcome to Extraordinary People, the podcast that highlights people who inspire others, have made significant contributions to the world, or who have overcome adversity. This show is hosted by Shirley Bogtel, author, educator, wife, mother, and grandparent. Learn more and subscribe today at ShirleyWachtel.com. And now, here's my grandma, Shirley Wachtel. Welcome, everyone. Well, today I am so excited to be speaking with someone that I've admired for a number of years and uh, I, who is quite talented and has also become a good friend, and that's Karen Kaplan-Klein. Karen began her career in illustration as soon as she could hold a pencil and has not let go since. Karen has illustrated several books and has shown her dioramas and clayoramas in numerous galleries throughout the United States since the 1970s and has taught art to children and adults for over 49 years. She also does workshops involving magic, dreams, and the mysteries integrated into art. So let me give you a little bit of personal background with Karen. Karen has uh, illustrated uh, two of my children's books um, when they came out several years ago uh, called The Eight Days of Hanukkah and recently another one, um, which is a children's book called Where is Emmy? Um, And that, of course, is the name of one of my two granddaughters. Um, I uh, first met Karen when both of our uh, children were attending an orientation at uh, Rutgers University, and uh, I approached her. I, I heard her talk about her artwork, and I happened to approach her and say, hey, I need an artist. Would you be interested? And so we've gotten to know each other rather well through the years, and Um, Karen is not only an artist, but um, I think she's a bit of a renaissance woman as well. Um, She uh, even ran for office. So I'm just delighted to welcome you here today, Karen. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. (laughs) Good, good. So um, for those of you who uh, aren't aware of what you do and your work, could you give us a little bit of your background and how you got started in this field? Okay. Well, my I come from a family of artists, and I'm very lucky in that. My dad was a professional artist, lived to be 100, both my parents did, and he was still showing his work well into his 90s, late 90s, uh, even at his assisted living facility, and he made assemblages, which is three-dimensional collages. And so I was always into art. My parents sent me to the art gallery when I was a child and I took special classes when I was a senior to get a portfolio together. And I majored in art in college. And what happened is when I got to college, my dad said, you should minor in education. And that was the furthest thing from my mind. But then I realized my dad was always smarter. (laughs) Mm. And he always said to me, the older I get, the smarter I get. So I did do that. And so that got me into teaching also. And I began teaching in 1971 at an elementary and junior high school. And then I guess a few years later, I started showing my dioramas in Greenwich Village. And the dioramas are three-dimensional works. Uh, My drawings at that time were photostatted to reduce them and mounted, dry mounted, and cut into little, the shapes are cut out with with an X-Acto blade. And so I started doing the dioramas and 
And then I illustrated a lot of um, different projects and posters for people. And um, I stopped teaching and then I formed my own art school. And I'm currently about 12 years ago, I started realizing that I've been teaching clay for so long. I want to do my own clay. So then I started doing what I call clayoramas. So right now, I sell my dioramas and clayoramas. I'm at a local gallery in Blairstown. And I also, I just popped some on Facebook and already sold them. So I find social media is also selling my work. And um, so that's my art background. Um, I encourage people to start their children young. I start teaching children at two and a half years old. It's never too young, even when they're babies and they, you could give them finger pain. But uh, So that's pretty much um, my art career. And right now I'm just busy doing commissions of clay and doing a huge diorama that I've started. Mm, wow. So um, where did you go to school, by the way? I went to CW Post, which is part of LIU. Oh, I sure. Actually, <laughs> yeah, I actually went there. My aunt lived in Roslyn and she said, hey, you want to see this really cool college? And they had horseback riding and art. And I said, sure. And I got right in and I just said, I want to be near my aunt. I love the land there. So, yep. Um, that's what I did. CW Post. Do you do you think um, for people who are aspiring artists, um, is it is it necessary for them to go to kind of a specialty school like they have in Philadelphia School of Art or um, can they pursue it you know, through a more generalized course of study? I chose a more generalized course of study mm-hmm. and I did. A, I did apply to Tyler. And I'm going to be really honest with you. When I was in high school. I was so busy and having, you know, going to parties and doing all that stuff, you know, and having boyfriends that I let my art kind of go. And then I got to my senior year and I was like, "Uh oh, I need a portfolio. And I got very serious about my art and got, and then I've been really serious since then. And uh, so I went to a four year, a general school. I probably could have, if I had applied myself more in high school, I'm sure I could have gone to a place like Tyler, but you do not need to a four year school with a good art department, especially if you're thinking of education is fine. Hmm. And establishing that portfolio is key, I think. It is. I work with students mm-hmm. to do it now. And it's tricky. Even my daughter, when she was at Rutgers, um, we did a portfolio to switch different schools at Mason Gross. And and they kept saying, uh, they kept deferring her, do more, do more, do more. It's very tricky. It's 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 how the judges are, you know, ascertaining what they want, you know. Uh, but I, I was just comfortable in a regular, you know, a liberal arts college. And I, I felt that that really worked better with me. Sure. So. Um, so how would you characterize your type of work? You've mentioned, uh, I certainly know about your illustrations and I, I find they're just, they're very realistic, first of all, and they, they, they're just appealing. There's something you see in, in the characters' faces that I think people can relate to. And even, even when you're doing illustrations for children's books, I, I, that just comes through. But um, you, you talk a lot about your dioramas. So how would you characterize yourself as an artist? Well, I'm a realist. I'm also, I could call it magical realism, but it's, 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 it's fantasy surrealism because of the juxtaposition of what I put into a diorama. I might have a camel floating on a cloud, for instance. I mean, things that are magical um and and it's realistic work i use what they call stippling or pointillism in a lot of my drawings for your book i use a combination of some pointillism and then just watercolor washes um Mm. but for the for the dioramas mostly they're pointillism they're very detailed i might draw for instance a horse and i might draw him like five inches tall but then 
now they don't have photostats anymore. That's a, that's that's gone. The chemicals, everything else. They've you know you just get things scanned professionally, and so I might have that horse reduced to twenty five percent. It might be an inch and a half at that point. So it's 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 highly detailed work, and I think one mm. man that I review in the Star Ledger in a show I was in in. Newark years ago at El Jaira Art Center, he said my work was painstaking. And it is. It's, mm. it's very, it takes a long, it takes a long, long time for me to do even one drawing. So realistic so, though, it's definitely. What, what about um, the um, dioramas and the clayoramas? Can you explain to um, us people like myself what that entails actually? Well, okay. Um, the dioramas, it, they're both, it's a layered process for either one. For the dioramas, I'm going to draw and I'm going to use a lot of photographs. As you know, from working on your latest book, I was like, photographs, photographs, because mm-hmm. a photograph, I, you know, I can't exactly get a donkey to come in and go in my studio and stand still. So photographs mm-hmm. are very valuable. So I do the drawing first in pencil and then I pointillism in, or in your case, I did some pointillism and some wash. And then once I get the drawing I want for a diorama, it's all pointillism. However, I will ha- take it to the scanner. I have a same man I took to get your JPEGs made for your book. And he will take my drawings and reduce it and you know give me my scans. And then I'll take the scans home and I will dry mount them to a high reg content board. I will cut them out. If I want color, I'll put layers. I did put layers of color in your Hanukkah book, for instance, on the cover that blue. So that's like, it's like taking contact paper. And then I'm, all the edges are painted white. They're glued together. And then I take artboard and I make a box for them. And sometimes, and mostly the, the floor is black and white checkered, just like my clay aromas. And then I plug it into a Lucite box. I had a man, he's in Indiana now. He made me a whole, or Ohio, he made me a whole lot. And now there's a local person I'm going to start going to. So that's the diorama. The clay aroma are little worlds also. They're all little worlds that kind of represent all time happening at once. Uh, it's It's kind of a, almost like a hypnagogic highway. It's the visions you see at night before you're going to bed. That gives me inspiration. So the clay aromas, I might have to roll out the base, also white, black, white checkered floors. I take my ruler and then I make all the pieces. Some are some are glazed on and some I glue on later because the, the silver and gold lusters would drip. So I make the clay, I sculpt it and I get it all together and I do a bisque fire. The clay turns white. I use white clay. Then I glaze it. I fire that again. I get all the beautiful shine and the colors. Then I put the silver and gold on it, and it's fired another time. But sometimes there's two or three color fires, and then it's done. Sometimes I sprinkle some glitter on certain spots of it, and I put felt on the bottom. So they're both really layered process. The the clay aromas are more fluid because it's like you're sculpting, it's going in the kiln, you're glazing. Whereas the dioramas, it's like it's like sometimes I'll draw for six months. I'll have boards and boards and boards. They'll all get dry mounted and you know reproduced. And then the process of putting them into different boxes takes place. And sometimes I'll do a drawing that I really like. I did a camel once and I just loved it for an Egyptian show. And then the same camel can be used over and over for, he could be in somebody's bedroom in a different scene. They're all little worlds that I make. So how long would you say it takes to do a piece like that? I mean, can you give me like, what's the shortest Mm -hmm. amount of time and what's the longest it's ever taken you? Okay. Let's say you came to my studio. I had a woman that would come to my studio and have me, and she would look at my drawings and she would custom pick to make her dioramas. I mean, I would, I would be the one to arrange them. And so she, if I'm going to do it, let's say I want to make a three and a half inch square diorama for you and your husband. And you say to me, I I like um, rabbits and I like stars. And I, 
I look through my rabbits and I happen to have some and I can take the drawings down to get them scanned if I don't have the reproductions ready. And so what I, I could, you know, I could literally take them and I could take a whole night just dry mounting them and cutting them out for you. And then I could do it in like a day or two. And if I, if you said I need this in one day, I could do it. Uh, if I had all the drawings already scanned, then it's just a matter of cutting all them out. I could. Now I have a I have these giant dioramas that I make, and there's two huge ones. And I'm my third one I started about ten years ago. And I said I think I want to finish this one. And it's about it looks like it's about wow. two feet. It's like 32 inches by maybe 24. And so for that one. I'm building a roller coaster out of boards right now. So that's this this piece could take me a few years, the whole piece. Whereas I could put a small one together if I had everything you wanted within a day or two. Or even like I could do it in six or seven hours. It would just be, you know, staying right at the drawing table. So when the gallery says, Oh, we just sold this and you have another edition, I say no and I have to make it. I could usually accomplish it in like in like six to eight hours. But it's a lot of work. You never get what you're you know like if you think of what you're getting per hour it could be 50 cents at some point we we joke as artists because it's so time consuming my processes it's like kind of like writing a novel i mean sometimes it it really can take 10 years to get one good novel out so or even a bad one so yeah i i get that what's what's the largest size piece you've ever created i've i've actually made Three and this is my third that I'm doing here. I'm just gonna take my yardstick over here because I think what did I say? I thought, I thought it was like 24 by 32. I'm gonna look and see what it is. It is wow. okay. Okay, let me. Oops, let me see. Okay, so I need a smaller ruler. <laughs> okay, all right, I got this. You we'll are very to... exacting. <laughs> well, yeah, I, and that's what people say about me. They say you're so precise. Okay, that one is. Let's see. That's no, it's 18 by i think it's probably 18 by 24 i'm gonna just look and see what what's 10 and 25 15 15 by 18 i thought it was bigger than that i think i've done some slightly bigger but that's big for me and um the one i have here is three-tiered it's got a moose being pulled by three sled dogs it's got a tunnel of love through these indians bodies it's got a wolf (laughs) it's got moons it's got this roller coaster i'm building because i did a a roller coaster out of clay, and I call it a roller coaster because there's crows in it. I'm doing the same thing now with drawings and boards. So um, to get any bigger than that, um, the only problem is when I did scans, when they did photostats, which was literally taking a picture of my artwork, if you've ever seen a photostat, that I, I, they could, I could do 17 by 23. Now for these boards, I can only use like 14 by 17. So if I ever want to do a giant piece, I'd have to just put my original drawings into the piece. Mm. And what what would you say is the smallest, like a miniature that you've created? Okay, well, I have a, a, it's they're three and a half by three and a half, and those got very popular. And I I started doing those in Greenwich Village in the seventies, and and I still do them. And that's a small size diorama. I mean, I, I've done smaller clay things, of course, but th- those and those people would say, oh, I really I really like that one. So what they would do is they would take those pieces and. Um, th- I would make an addition. I'd say I did five out of seven, you know, so that someone say I, I want that. And it was easier. I could just make them all at once. So they were like, like in printmaking, when you make additions, I was doing that. But three and a half by three and a half is the smallest diorama that I've sold. Hmm. Oh my. And, and can you describe just one of them? Sure. Okay. I'm trying to think of some, they're all upstairs right now. Um, okay. So I have one that I have all these different animals and there's little fences around them. There's a little sheep looking over the fence. 
there's all these little stars in the sky. There's one that has an animal cracker box and has all the mm-hmm. animals escaping out of that. That was a recent one. That one, it's got like a lion sitting on top of the box. And I literally drew the Cracker Jack box that I drew. I have one sitting here on my wall. I drew it life size, you know, like the, the mm-hmm. size of a Cracker Jack box. I mean, not a size, you know. And then right. I had it made, and then I had it like maybe a 20% reduction. So it's this little tiny box. Oh. And I, I, and when they give me the scans, they give them to me out of a nice stock now. It's like cardboard. So I was able to just cut that, you know, like you're making a box, you're showing somebody how to make a little box and make it into a box and put my colored, I put my colored screens on it and then had it reproduced again so that I wouldn't have to keep doing the color. And then I have these animals climbing out of it. And the funny part about that is I made that piece up uh, three or four years ago when I did a circus theme. And then right like a year later, they had that big thing with animal crackers and the Oh, PETA, the organization that said you can't put the animals in cages. Mm-hmm. I don't even. <laughs> so, right. So right, I, right. Artists, artists are always ahead of their time. So that was kind of funny. Mm. And so, um, I, you know, it, it's it, just to see these tiny, you know, pieces, these tiny creations is is just so um, fascinating, I think. And, and these are the times when I wish we had uh, a visual aspect to this podcast so people can actually see your work um, as I've seen it, um, some of it in person and uh, a lot of it uh, certainly online and, of course, in, in our books. Um, so as an artist, what type of art appeals to you besides your own, which I'm sure you have um, many objects in your own home, but what Uh appeals to you when you go shopping for art or even when you go to a gallery or a museum, where do you gravitate? I gravitate for one thing to surrealism. Just that movement's always got me. I also gravitate to the super realism which I really love. And, the, and it works like Chuck Close, where if you stand back, it looks like it's a photograph. And as far as what I buy, I love, I love to, I love funky, whimsical art. I like the kind of art like that I make, but I want someone else to do it. I want their vision. Mm-hmm. And I have an artist friend, her name is also Karen. And we, we take works and we send them to each other. And we finish each other's projects, but then we decided to do a doll unit. And she sent me this doll she made and it went right up my wall. It's got feathers and beads. I just loved it. And I also love, like, I, there's an artist, Bill Stewart, and his clay, he just recently died. He was a good friend of my dad's. And I have, I'm looking at one of his pieces right now, and it's a pig with a teddy bear on top of that and an alligator eating an ice cream cone on top of that. So it's it's kind of like my work, but much bigger, but he inspired me. So I like funky, cool work. Um, I like to have, I like textiles sometimes. I like soft sculpture. Uh, if somebody makes a really great mask, I like to, I like to put shamanic looking masks in my outdoor porch. But that's and I, you know, I'm in a gallery, so very often we buy each other's works, you know, um, and so that happens too. Um, but I mostly buy a lot of pottery because I love the artist pottery in my gallery. Right. Um, well, you mentioned um, one artist. Um, who are your role mo- models in the art world? Who do you look up to? Well, one of my idols for years, and I actually wrote him a letter, is Joseph Cornell, and he did assemblages like my dad did. And I wrote this letter to him when he never answered me. And then later mm. on, it came out that he was a pedophile, but that's okay. <laughs> but his work, yeah, I know. Well, Still okay, an right. artist. Yes. <laughs> uh, but his vision was beautiful. He just had a younger women friends, but uh, his work um, is very inspiring. I also have like Aubrey Beardsley uh, and Escher. 
And if you mm-hmm. think about Aubrey Beardsley, the beautiful pen and ink, and if you think of Escher, it's like that surrealism where he actually makes shapes that just can't really exist, but you have to keep looking different ways to see it. Um, I could, they, they'd be my favorite. Magritte, I love Magritte. Again, surrealism. Um, but they'd be my role models. Um, I know Joseph Cornell never answered me, but his stuff is so gorgeous. But when I did a paper in college, it was one of my thesis and for art art classes and i i actually put my dad pictures of my dad's things in because my dad's stuff is just amazing it's very like much like joseph cornell i don't know if you're familiar with his stuff but you could google him if not but and, and you could google my dad i mean but the just like what my dad did was he would take different things we would antique when he got me hooked on antiques and then he would it's this juxtaposition where he would take all these antiques and put them in typecases, which of course he got copied a lot. I mean, they all, my dad was the first one to do all that. Then he started having boxes made for him. And it's just like, they made him very surreal. Like he made his own little world. It was like a, a moment in time was frozen. And that's what Joseph Cornell does. So. What's your dad's name for anyone? who wants Okay. To okay. My dad's name. Well, Leo, L E O Kaplan, K A P L A N. Uh, and if you Google him, you'll see his awesome blages. Um, and it's like his website. I didn't know if I should continue it when it went, went out. I didn't know what to do. You know, I was so distraught that he died. I mean, he was a hundred. Um, mm-hmm. But, it, you know, but it, I find that whenever we go, my friends Google him, like so many images he come out. He was in who's who in American artists. He, he uh, in American art, he was very regionally famous, especially I'm from Rochester, New York. So that area, they, the Finger Lakes region, they all knew him. And then, he moved to Florida and his last art show, he was about 99. Maybe he was even a hundred. It was just a few months mm-hmm. before he died. You know, they had a group show with the, the facility. It was really neat. Amazing. So yeah. um, I, you mentioned um, that it was your dad who kind of steered you into uh, the teaching. And we, that's something we also have in common because my father did the same for me. And, uh, and, and I haven't regretted it either because I find that you can do both your art and, and uh, teach. And um, so, so let's talk a little bit more about that aspect of what you do. Um, sure. So uh, you currently have a school for... Okay. I currently sort of have a, almost like a school in, in my imagination. Okay. My art school. Okay. The art school that I had, uh, once I moved out here to the country, to the farm, um, I let go. I, I, um, I had it in my house. I had this huge room in my house in Roxbury. Okay. So then I moved and I had a storefront art school for many, many years. Then my, my partner and I decided she was crass and I was art. It was just, it just wasn't working. So I started teaching like at the in the back room of my gallery here in, in this local town. I live this local, the local gallery. Well, tell us I where you're a, based. Tell us where it's, you're based. Oh, it's, it's a little town called Blairstown, New Jersey, an Appalachian mm-hmm. Trail town. Very funky. So mm-hmm. um, I, there's a back room in the gallery and I teach there. Then I teach it. My mom was at assisted living and I got inspired to teach the elders and she got me started, my mom. So both parents have influenced me. And then I I began teaching where she was. I'm not teaching there right now because of COVID, but I teach it. If there wasn't COVID, I'd be back teaching. And I teach at three different facilities. They're assisted living. And I also work on a tier, the memory unit in one of them, which is very difficult to do. Um, and then I teach at the gallery. I'll teach anywhere from two and a half up, but mostly the gallery. It's, eh, it's like seven to 10-year-olds. And then lately I've got some private students that, you know, they're – 
they know I'm vaccinated. We go in the back porch or whatever. Um, so right now, I'm not teaching children at the gallery. And I'm not teaching, except for maybe a few private lessons. I'm kind of like on hold from teaching, which is why I was able to finish the book and do all these giant projects like the dime store I made out of clay because, you know, I'm furloughed right now. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Um, so uh, you teach all ages then, you know, children all the way up there. That's correct, yeah. right? Yeah, I like to say I teach two and a half year olds through 102 and a half. Yes, I teach mm-hmm. all ages. And now I'm finding that um, one of my granddaughters, as you know, Emmy, is uh, four uh-huh. years old. And uh-huh. um, she does, she absolutely loves to draw. And uh-huh. uh, I was amazed really to see these programs that they have on YouTube um, where you can, a child can draw along with what they're seeing on the screen, you know, and, and the, the, the stuff she puts out just watching the instructor, it's just, it, it's really good. You know, she's done birthday cards and all of this. And I think for a four-year-old, uh, uh, that was great. And it really consumes all of her attention. So um, have you ever thought about doing anything like that? What do you think about that as a mode of uh, teaching? Okay. I was asked once if I would do a sip, a sip and paint. Okay. Now the whole procedure, and I'm not sure what your granddaughter was exposed to. Emmy might've had a good program, but some of these programs they do for children in person or zoom are very contrived and they have them do step-by-step and do like a painting and it's really against everything I believe in. Um, mm-hmm. But the, pro- the, pro- no, but the, the <laughs> okay. program she did might've been a different program. I work on teaching children, use your imagination and see what's around them. But I was asked to do uh. a sip and paint. And I said, how about if I do a sip and glaze? And they said, sure. And I bought six and a half inch tiles and I gave them a really good drawing lesson and showed them how to just draw from their right brain. And then I gave them a lot of magazine pictures and, or they could make things up. And they drew it in pencil and they glazed it. And then I took it home, fired it and gave it to the the host, whoever I do, whosever house I do one of these at. And they distribute them. I put cork on the back and everything. And um, so in that sense, yes. But there's a program that I heard about. It's called Young Rembrandt. And from what I've seen, it's it's, it's almost like a coloring book. And I'm very against coloring books um, in that they literally take a painting and they do step by step how to do they copy somebody else's artwork so in that way it's contrived because they're saying this is how the lighting what i wanted to say to the child is look where the light's hitting it you put where it's hitting it so i don't know the program emmy had she might have had a good program so i don't want to diss it no it was just uh it was just a five minute thing where somebody's there drawing and they're copying it so it wasn't really i wouldn't call it a program (laughs) no and it might have been a good one it might not i don't know but um but if she could even do that in five minutes she's probably very talented and and when you get them young like that, they're wonderful. I just have a different approach. You mm-hmm. know? Where you and use Zoom more is- of the imagination, which I get totally as a, as a writer too. Yes, but a lot of photographs too and a lot of still lifes because I find that like when I was in high school, we would have an assignment, do a painting involving three people. And I remember just making it up and it was so like amateurish. And now I would say to people like model for each other, draw each other, which he the teacher did have us do once or twice, but it's good to have them do photographs. It's good to have them do still lifes and use their imagination. So it's really both. It's just that I would never give a kid a painting to copy because that's somebody else's vision. And mm-hmm. I, I get almost militant. Like if people would give my, when people gave my children coloring books, I'd be like, Oh my God, please don't do that. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, I'm very opinionated. And parents give their kids a lot of coloring books because it takes up their time. So. Yeah, not mine. Yeah, white paper, please. <laughs> white paper. <laughs> I got it. I got. I understand totally. So I'm going to um, uh, reveal something to you that you did not know about me, and that is I've always harbored a secret desire to be an artist. And uh, <clears throat> I haven't been too successful, hence you've been illustrating my books. But um, uh, I, I find myself um, trying to sketch photographs, like using mm-hmm. pencils. And but I really and I've looked at one of these, you know, again something on YouTube. Here we're sketching a, a copy of copying a, a photograph and use this pencil or that pencil. So somebody like me who would just like to get started with that kind of easy sketching. Um, like what, how would we get started? What would you recommend? What kind of materials would be good for a beginner? Okay. And, and I will secretly say I've always harbored a wish to be a writer. So, okay, we're even here. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So what I would do with somebody like you, um, is I would start you out with contour drawing. Do you know what contour drawing is? Well, I'll describe it. Imagining the shapes having to do with the shape of something. It has to do with the outline because it's called contour. So what you Mm -hmm. do is, uh, let's say you put a a bicycle in front of you and and you just start a drawing. You've got, you're doing spokes. Okay. You never pick up your pen. We always use a marker so you can't erase it. You can't cheat. You can't pick it up. It's all one continuous line. What that does is it gets you so confused that it frees up. You, You go into your right brain. You literally get unable to speak. You're so into your right brain. And then what we do sometimes is we turn something upside down, like you turn the same bicycle upside down. So your left brain has to be quiet like you just drawing what you see so very often i will give you know if i if i'm starting out people young adults and adults i'll, I'll have them do contour drawings and then to kind of reward them I'll, I'll give them some like gouache paint for instance and let them fill all the different shapes they've created all the outlines with different bright colors and it becomes almost an abstract and partly real but there's a very free form look to it it's very very artsy i will call it then i would start teaching you, I would probably give you an HB and a 2B pencil and just show you how to take a, I would do a still life first and then a photograph and showing you how to render. I'd show you how, if you're doing something like a vase, something symmetrical, how to make a, a line, a vertical line going down so you can compare the sides. I would teach you about eye level, which is something that came up in the book I was doing with you, like about the shelves in the pantry, the eye level, the perspective. I would give you some pointers on that. And then I would probably also let you use photographs. And I would show you how to use, instead of the contour bright solid marker line, I would show you how to sketch and keep it really light and keep your hands so free. And really the word here, the optimal word is fluid. And then, of Mm. course, we get. then you might say, can I do watercolor? We might get in some some color. But um, I don't do a lot of charcoal with people, but because it's so messy. I just it's just I'm not a fan, but I would probably do pastels and charcoal with you. I'd get you comfortable with it. Um, But the whole thing is it's getting like there's a book. I don't know if you have it, and if you don't, I do, or you can get it. It's called Drawing from the Right Side of Your Brain. Um, it That's a great book to read, and that kind okay. of just tells you everybody can do it, but you have to hook into the right part of your brain instead of thinking, well, a cat is a circle and triangles. It's just like, no, just become the cat. Do a Zen thing and just draw it. Mm, interesting. I'm writing that name down, by the way. Okay. Oh. Would you say that anyone can learn to draw? 
I would, and I believe everybody has talent. And I always look at ancient Egypt, and I've I've done hieroglyphs, and I've traveled to Egypt as a scribe, so I adore hieroglyphs. I have a friend who's a writer, and we partner up. But I will say that you know all those people learned how to do hieroglyphs, and which is really little pictograms or drawings, almost a rebus. So I believe everybody has that talent. Now I think some people's talent gets really, really suppressed, and it gets it's like my my writing, for instance. I had an eighth seventh grade English teacher that said I was so amazing in my writing. And then she just put me down one day and she really discouraged Uh me. So Mm -hmm. you need a lot of encouragement. And sometimes people, um, they just shut down and they just like, I've, I've encountered people in the old people I teach who said, I never had art in school. I don't want it now. And they're almost resentful. They're like, mm-hmm. why didn't I have it? So I believe everybody has some talent. Now, if, if, if you're going to say to me, well, is everybody equally talented? There's genetics at play. Like my my um, ancestors on my mom's side were portrait artists, the Rosenthal's in Philadelphia. My dad was an artist. So I am getting some genetic thing there. Just like you'll, mm-hmm. often you'll see someone, a singer, and their daughter is a singer. There's definitely some talent. But anybody with a proper openness and starting at a nice early age, preferably, can draw. I did. I did have the only person I think I could never teach to draw was I had a woman who was very, very had a very, very rough, rough childhood, and after she had so much abuse, I could not get her free enough. I think more time I would have gotten her to draw, but mm. she was just so she was so locked up in her pain that um, I think I would have. But I think she gave up. But I think I think she, actually she became a stained glass artist. It was amazing. She just didn't want to pursue drawing. So I mean, her creativity did come out in other ways. Yeah, and you see a lot of uh, people who are retired, they'll uh, they'll finally turn to the thing that they've always wanted to do, you know. Yes. And often yes. it is art. We have former presidents and actors and who have really created um, magnificent works of art. Some of them, mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. and and so, but they never they were too. Uh, I guess, obsessed with their careers to um, allow themselves that moment to breathe and say, hey, what do I want to put out there, you know? And mm-hmm. uh, I think what your words are certainly very encouraging. Um, so, Karen, where can, well, before I ask you that, um, you mentioned ways that the pandemic has uh, impacted uh, your classes and so forth. Um, do you see things opening up in the future, like getting more people visiting museums and and opening up themselves to um, these great uh, original pieces and maybe even uh, starting to take classes again and maybe even encouraged by by all these months of um, being at home? What's your thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, my take is that, that people have been so frustrated with being home and they've and they have started dabbling in art and they and I even did one Zoom class um, on an Egyptian workshop making the game of Sinat, but I definitely think people have been inspired and I think people I mean I've already heard people say, I want to go to that museum, but there's only five people allowed at a time, you have to make reservations. So things are opening up, but I think I think this time of stillness definitely people developed a lot in of their talents that they had had been latent for years. And I think things, I think the art world is going to come alive again. I really mm. do. And I mean, right now it's, it's zoom and I have a real resistance to teaching on zoom, which is so hard for me. And people have right. been asking me to, and I'm like, I just, 
So I've just kind of been hiding out, doing my own artwork, mm-hmm. making your book, you know, <laughs> sorry. Okay. Well, that's good for me. <laughs> Certainly. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I, I tend to agree with you on this. I think um, people are tapping into uh, some of the creative aspects in their brains and uh, and maybe things will even be better than they were before this. I certainly hope so. Um, oh, so do. Karen, where uh, can we find some of your work? Because I'm sure after listening to this, uh, <laughs> you're, you're, there'll be plenty people out there who are, will be interested in what you're doing. Okay. There's a few different ways. One way is you can go on my local galleries website and there's a few of my pieces in the store and a few pieces near my bio. And so the website for the gallery is gallery23.net and 23 is in numerals. Um, they could also email me and I can send them pictures. I do not have my own personal website. I am so guilty. Uh, I just don't. Um, I also on Facebook, like today, I made the circus a few years ago with some friends of mine, a friend of mine, we partnered up and I, I just put it on Facebook today and, you know, sold half the pieces just by people saying, I want that. So, I mean, social media. So you could find me on Facebook. It's Karen Kaplan Klein. You could go to gallery23.net. And I think there's contact. If you go on the website, the contact person uh, that gets all the emails from the website happens to be me. So mm-hmm. I would get your email because I also do the website, which is crazy because I'm not yeah. techie. But. <laughs> and they can they can certainly uh, get a copy of um, Where is Emmy by Tellwell Publishing. And uh, uh, that's that's uh, my book, uh, Shirley Russek Wachtel and Karen Kaplan Klein. And Karen, I want to thank you so much for speaking with me today. For a long time, I've been kind of looking to sit down at, with you and pick your brain. And I'm glad that I've been given this opportunity. Thank you too for your time and your encouragement. And we will get you out to this farm and we'll do an in-person visit really soon, I hope. I look forward to it. Take care. Same. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Extraordinary People. To learn more about Shirley Wachtel and to subscribe to the show, head to ShirleyWachtel.com. Thanks, and we'll see you next time on Extraordinary People.